Check this out. Wes found it. WikiHouse. It's an open source project to reinvent the way we make homes. It's being developed by architects, designers, engineers, inventors, manufacturers, builders, collaborating to develop the best, simplest, most sustainable, high-performance building technologies that anyone can use. This is kind of an awesome project. They're like on their fourth and a half iteration right now of it. This video gives you a little bit of details about it here. This is the team. I think we're at the beginning of an industrial revolution, which is allowing us to use the web and digital tools to make it much, much simpler to design homes that are customized to each of us. So they're showing a website where you go in and kind of customize the home and it creates the, like, the printing spec. ...that can even be locally printed using digital manufacturing tools and then simply assembled, even by small businesses and homeowners themselves. Really robust, sustainable, beautiful homes. That has the potential to fundamentally change the rules of how we make houses in Britain. Instead of selling the land to just one developer, we divide sites up into plots to be bought or rented directly by local families at a price that they can afford. Together with the local planners, the community would develop an outline neighbourhood plan and a basic set of design rules. As long as you stay within the rules, you can build, modify or extend without having to get any further planning permission from the council. That's cool. Residents are then free to create their own homes using any building method, supported by not just one or even ten companies, but hundreds of companies. So I, I watched a couple of videos they have on YouTube uh, from a couple, one of the ones I watched was a couple that, that made a house. And they said that this was the first time they've ever done anything like this. But the thing that was really awesome for them was that uh, there were so many other community members that built a house before them where they had found something that didn't work quite right nice. or made little changes. And so by the time they were on version four, now they're beyond the version they were even using. There were so many little things as they were assembling like, oh, I'm so glad somebody thought of that. I'm so glad somebody thought of that. It's awesome. And it's kind of like how you would share a 3D printing spec. Totally. A really neat. So it's a wikihouse.cc. Yeah, it, I don't know. I, I Part of me loves the whole tiny house thing um, because I think sometimes people just by default think they need some huge palace to live in when you could probably get by with a lot less and have a lot less to have to manage and keep up, uh, you know, keep clean and, and, and keep on top of repairs. I think a small house could work for a lot of people. But uh, if you're somebody like me, I'd have nowhere, no idea where to start. Wikihouse.cc. Seemed kind of fun. An open source house. I'd like to see what some of these finished houses look like. Somebody build one and let us know. Yeah, there we go. Come on, audience. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 188 for March 14th, 2017. Oh, welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's so excited about Pi Day, it's borderline obnoxious. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. It is a big day today, not just Pi Day. It's a major birthday of 23 years today, and nobody's talking about it. Do you agree? Yeah, no. We literally had to fact check it three different places because nobody's nobody's talking about it. Well, we're going to talk about it today on the show. It's a big deal. We're going to get into that. Plus, are you ready for the challenge? I have no idea. Uh, I like that honest That's answer. That's honesty. On Pi Day, we thought, what would be better than Mycroft on a Raspberry Pi? How about Mycroft and Alexa on a cancel on a Raspberry Pi? Cancel. We're gonna try to load them both, Mycroft and the Echo software platform, <laughs> on a Raspberry Pi live on the show, and see if we can create the ultimate. Personal assistant powered by a Raspberry Pi on Pi Day. Plus, we're going to give you an update on some of our favorite open source projects that we follow every single week. And then, despite Wimpy's denial, VR on Linux had a big boost this week. It actually, ladies and gentlemen, may be crossing into the legitimate territory. What? What? I know. I, I, I did not actually think I'd be saying that on this show anytime soon. But I, we got everything from gaming to creating a VR Linux desktop. Whoa. Yeah, and also uh, those people who say AR is the future, <laughs> we're going to talk about that too, Wimpy. I mean, we'll be talking about that later on in the show. And uh, we're going to wrap it, we're going to wrap it, wrap it all up with a celebration of 23 years of the official release of the Linux kernel in only, in the only way your Linux Unplugged show could, the only way. So we got a really big show, so big. So let's, uh, real big. Great show ever. Great, best show ever. So let's bring in our mumble room to make it all happen. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hello. 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 How? Hello, everybody. It is good. 
Alexa, I'm, stop. I'm not talking to her. Did you? She's very eager to. Gosh, I, 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 I feel like something to prove. I feel like she's getting triggered more today than she ever has so. before. I think she wants to be in the show. She wants. Yeah, she should dial into the mumble room. Well, guys, uh, I want to start with. Uh, I, we always like to open the show with some of our favorite open source project, and there's nothing too much higher on that list, except for maybe Comp is in Barrel. It's the Matei desktop, and uh, we have a big release, version one point one eight. Released uh, just yesterday, Martin Wimpress. I'm not familiar with yeah, who, who Martin is, is, but maybe Wimpy could help us uh, understand what's new in Mate 1.18. Hello, Wimpy. Hello there. How are you doing? Good, good, and uh, very excited about the new release. It seems like uh, the uh, march towards GTK3 continues, right? Well, the march towards GTK3 Or completing it, I should say, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even better. Yeah, so we're, we're finally there, as in everything is now only buildable with um, GTK3 and any of the remaining GTK2 support code that we had kicking around has been ejected. And the uh, 1.18 release has really been focused around cleaning up that GTK3 implementation. There's still a bit of work to do, but this is a huge step forwards um, on a number of fronts, bringing the whole underpinnings up to date. And it looks like, oh, hi there. It looks like it's based on uh, 3.14. Is that right? Uh, it supports GTK 3.14 and up. Oh, I so, see. That's what. It, that's um, the lowest. I see. That's the lowest it will support. Yeah, but it supports all the way up to 3.22. Notifications now implemented. Awesome. Lock screen will load the user selected background. Very nice. New so that features. One, yeah, that one I think is probably going to be about the most popular feature. Which one's that? <laughs> the uh, setting the lock screen ah. to whatever the selected backdrop is rather than the system <laughs> really? default. Really? Really? We've had people asking for that. <laughs> wow. It's the things everyone ever. notices, I suppose. <laughs> it's it's a curious one because um where that where that image is set, it runs in a um in a, a process with elevated permissions. So the reason that we hadn't done it for such a long time is um, there were security considerations. Oh, so had to be done properly, which it has been done. So now when you change your backdrop and you lock the screen, that is the backdrop you'll see on the lock screen, which is a small thing, but <laughs> lots of people have been asking for that for ages. So uh, this, I believe, also is landing in 17.04. So anyone that will have Ubuntu 17.04 will have Ubuntu 1.18. Is, is that right, or am I getting that wrong? Yeah, it has landed, in fact. Oh, it um, has already? Yeah, okay. It, it, uh, yeah, it's 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 landed at some point today. Uh, but yeah, it's all in there now. So uh, if you're running the Ubuntu Mate 17.04 Alpha yeah. and you um, apt update and apt upgrade, you'll, you'll get all of this stuff now. Now, was there a debate to go directly to 2? Well, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was, myself and the Fedora maintainer were keen that we call this 2.0. Yeah, okay. That's what but, I thought. Uh, you know, democracy is king. And <laughs> uh, there was a 50-50 split on uh, on the vote as to whether we were going to go 2.0. And I decided that it wasn't worth it wasn't worth fighting over, so step down. So this is one dot one eight, but hmm. this has got all of the features in it that we discussed when I, I was I was trying to push the agenda and say that this should be a, a two dot release. Well, I suppose it's it makes it seem less of a big change, which is probably comfortable to Matei users and some to some degree to some. To yeah, some. yeah. Some some of the other developers feel that it, it needs um, uh, a bigger, significant um, step forward in terms of technology support for it to be a two dot So they're suggesting that the two dot will only come when um, uh, when Wayland is supported. So uh, that could be sometime. <laughs> Interesting idea, though. We get there. Interesting. I, 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 that's the same thing as like that. You know, Linux two dot seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, it's going yeah, yeah. to result in the same kind yeah. of ridiculous yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you had a point about the shifting sands of GTK. I want to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, Martin, good to speak to you on this show. Uh, one of the many we've spoken to each other <laughs> on. Um, but GTK, it seems to me, is just a constantly shifting sand, isn't it? Where you 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 seem to not be able to be sure exactly which one's going to be the stable version and stuff. So that must factor into your decisions um, in terms of porting it to GTK three and finalizing things and making things stable, as Marte is famously known for. 
Yeah, so the we we've been, you know, struggling with keeping pace at the at the rate of change in the GTK3 toolkit for a number of years. But with GTK322, that is now behind us. So GTK322 is going to remain the same. There's not going to be a 324. 322 is just going to get point releases that fix stuff. Mm. Um, but no API or ABI changes as far as as far as I'm aware. So the Mate desktop is going to, or at least what we've discussed, is stick to GTK322 now because um, we can stabilize and coalesce around that and refine what we've been working towards. And there's a lot of good stuff that we can still enable um, on top of GTK322. And GTK4 is just around the corner, but the GTK developers have made it clear that GTK4 is going to be very much iterative development with lots of API uh, and ABI changes uh, in the early versions, and that they will make it clear when a GTK4 release gets to an, an API-stable version. So it, it's not how things have been in the past where they've you know attempted to maintain, or they're with GTK3, this is part of the problem, why they're, why they're changing this in GTK4. But they're not going to try and maintain stability in GTK4. It is going to be very much rapid, and right. all things are going to change for quite some time. So not a platform we're going to target um, because we've been living with that for a number of years and we now just want a quiet life and just want to uh, <laughs> just clean things up and <laughs> and maybe add a few features rather than keep on fighting, you know, the constant change in the API. Hmm. So I also had uh, a little inclination that perhaps we should, oh, is it chilling? It's chilling, right? Ubuntu chilling. Chillin'. We should follow up on that because well I, was it was it two, three weeks ago you yeah. and I were talking about it and I think what sort of piqued your interest, uh, do you have any updates on that particular project for us? Yeah, so um, I've I've spoken to a couple of guys from the Chillin team. So when we last spoke, whenever it was a few weeks back, um, they'd obviously announced that they had um, forked uh, some big chunk of Mate and called it UK UI, and that uh, they'd given it very much a Windows esque look and feel. And this was going to be the new default in uh, Ubuntu Chillin, which is the distro that's specifically made for the Chinese market. Um, and working with them, what we've been able to do is instead of forking like all the things, mm-hmm. we've now got that down to just seven packages. So they're forking seven packages. And I think two of them are actually um, not so much forks, but deri- derivative works um, in their own right, so that they don't really count. So there's five packages that are forks of Mate. Um, so what that means is that they're going to be sitting on top of most of the Mate stack with just a few packages um, that they need. So obviously they need their own session manager because they need to identify as their own desktop session. And most of the other uh, packages that they've forked, things like... I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced, but Peony or Fioni or something like that, which oh. is their file manager, which is forked from Kaja. And um, that we're simply not going to accept the the changes that they've made upstream because it, they've basically made it look exactly like Windows Explorer, which just doesn't fit, fit with you know what Mate is setting out to do. So there are some things that they're just going to fork. They're going to maintain that themselves and it's, Fair enough. Um, But then most of the other stuff, they're going to sit on all of the same underpinnings. So they will get to benefit from this new uh, Mate release in 1704 because that's going to be the first release of Ubuntu Chillin that features the new UK UI desktop. So um, they get a new new, uh, set of packages as well. So they uh, they've they've modified it to look more like Explorer. That's interesting. I wonder if they'll also update it to include the new ads that Windows 10 is exploring. Oh, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> Wimpy, how has it gone? Just communicating with them has it been has it been fairly effective and efficient? And and have they seem to be receptive to uh, talking to you. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. So they filed a bug uh, in Launchpad uh, that outlined everything that they wanted to fork. Um, and there's another guy who works on uh, Ubuntu GNOME, and he's also uh, one of the um, uh, the community developers for on the on the desktop side of things as well, 
Uh, so Jeremy Beecher, and he's he's been helping them as well. So we responded on the um, on their bug and basically said, do you need to fork all of this stuff? And here's some ideas about how you can save yourself some effort and just use some of the facilities that, e- that exist in Marte so that you don't have to fork everything. So we talked through there and, and I said, you know, come and join us in IRC. This is our channel. These are the people you want to talk to, which they did. So um, we've had a good a good discussion with them, hmm. and um, yeah, uh, I don't know that we'll be closely collaborating. I think they've got a lot on at the moment to try and get this first release out, and then after the first release out is out for them, I'm I'm going to go back to them and see if I can get them more more involved with with Marte as a whole, because obviously they're they're going to be using great chunks of it, and it'll be sure. nice and to if- see. If they get a lot of users on it too, it'd be good to get some of their observations and bug fixes, or or at least yeah, last, bugs they last find. I heard there's quite a lot of people in China, yeah. and there's quite a lot of people using Ubuntu yeah, in China. So uh, seems like yeah. you could get some good feedback and input, at least if nothing yes, else. Indeed, indeed, oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I wanted to uh, shift gears and, and talk about uh, Ryzen just for a second, but it was actually following up to something that uh, Popey and Wimpy were discussing on the uh, latest episode of the Ubuntu oh. podcast of the new season. Yeah. And it's something we touched on too a little bit and it's it's Ryzen. And I wanted to I wanted to pick your guys' brains uh specifically around we so you, your Ubuntu podcast covered it and I think we discussed it on it was either this last Linux action show or the one before I can't remember exactly cuz we pre-recorded a couple of them. Uh and I I noticed that Hope you seem to sort of shrug it off, but the more I've thought about this, I I really think that perhaps AMD might be willing to make a big a big product differentiating change here. Uh, and so what do you think, Bobby? Do you think we could be looking at the at the possibility of AMD stepping up and saying, we're going to take the AMD control processor, we're going to take some of our binary blobs, and we're going to open source them, and not just for the desktop, but maybe also for server and other uses? Do you think it could happen? I'd love to see it, and I feel a bit jaded because yeah, I've yeah. heard numerous times that AMD are going to do the next big thing, and yep. you know this next thing, product that they're going to come out with, it's going to be open source, it's all going to be clean, and it's going to be the thing that's going to kill NVIDIA, or it's 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 the thing you want to put in your computer, and I just don't. I just don't because I don't trust them. I don't trust them to deliver on what they keep saying they're going to deliver. But do you think it also betrays the fact that perhaps there has been some internal discussions and debating and they feel like it's something they should do, but they can't quite figure out how to pull the trigger? And that was exciting to be able to see, you know, a conversation on Reddit turn into a CEO level conversation. Yeah. That's great. And I hope it follows through. I hope it doesn't just die as yet another project internal to the company that, you know, doesn't actually materialize or they realize well actually there aren't that many desktop linux users so we don't really care it just seems like even if they didn't even if they didn't care about the desktop if they just totally ignored the desktop the benefits of doing the server side for gpu based tasks and entire server systems built using amd's whole platform it it feels like there would they would almost become the default for really right. reliable, completely open. And and by the way, by completely open also means auditable Linux servers. I would love that to happen. I'm just not holding my breath. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. It feels like to me, and I hate to use this term because it kind of feels like a debug term, but in the post Snowden, quote unquote, or the post Vault 7 reality, if I want a highly confidential, highly secure cloud server – I would like to have something that is from the blobs that run the hardware all the way up to the code that runs my web server and the web apps that run on top of it. I would like to be able to audit that, especially if I'm a government institution or or a, or a nonprofit of some type that might be in the political light. I feel like this is this was, the market pressure would almost would almost just handsomely reward AMD enough to make it worth it just in the server area alone. I could be wrong. Does anybody else in the moment have a sense of that before we move on? I'm pretty excited about Ryzen, even though I don't have any intentions of buying. In fact, I may be buying a, a, a 1080 graphics card from NVIDIA pretty soon, actually, for just a VR. But I'll save that for later. All right. So what I happens – I share Popey's skepticism because it said the same thing in 2009. And yeah. I think I kept believing that right up until Vulcan came out yeah. for every other platform but AMD. <sighs> Yeah, I, I agree. Joe, you were going to say something too? Yeah, I was going to say, what happens when they do their next deal with Microsoft or Sony for PlayStation or Xbox? 
and have to put a processor in one of those, you can be sure that right. they are not going to want that stuff to be open source. Right, right. I just really would love to see some solid competition to Intel because it's not just the graphics, right? It could be, it could be the whole platform would be so – I agree. I'm trying not to get too excited about it, but just the idea – and who knows how accurate it is. And perhaps I, – I, Sorry, Chris. I, in a dream world, yes, I agree. I would love this. I would love for it to be yes. the, com- the compute platform of choice. Right. Like whether it's you – know, you could throw out your Intel CPUs, you mm-hmm. could throw out your proprietary NVIDIA drivers, and you could go all in AMD and have your racks full of – uh, CUDA cores doing all your compute, and you could be super happy with everything being open source and auditable. I'm, I, yeah, I, imagine I really you've got 4K gaming and VR with uh, open source AMD drivers. Right. That is surely the dream. Yes. Joe, yeah, yeah, Joe, totally. you mispronounced AR there. <laughs> there it is. Hold on, <laughs> yeah, we're sorry, getting AR. there. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Um, so Ryzen's an interesting development from AMD, but I think it's most interesting um, in for server use because what you're getting is something that's a little bit cheaper, um, almost equivalent um, in terms of compute power. Not quite. Intel can best it in 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 most areas by just a smidge. But the big thing, the big thing at the data center is is power, and this yeah. uh, these new Ryzen chips are significantly lower power than the equivalent Intel. That's a great point, Wimpy. So I think that's where it matters. And likewise, if AMD have any aspirations to uh, make their uh, CPUs available through Libre Boot or Core Boot or whatever. Um, then it makes most sense in the server market because the Linux desktop market share just isn't big enough mm-hmm. to warrant them uh, putting that time and effort in. But they could be persuaded that on servers, there's there's some benefit to that. Imagine a world. Just, just, just because often you'll see, well, why do we want commercial software on the Linux desktop? Why do we care if we have more users for Linux desktop? Maybe it should just be for us. Technical people will have a haven of a, an OS built for us. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> but imagine for a moment, if you will, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, imagine here that Adobe has released Photoshop, Premiere, and After Effects on Linux. If, this is the, if, that, if those applications existed on the Linux desktop, AMD would probably be all in on doing this. This would be an obvious decision for them because they would want to dominate that workstation market. So that's why I say, like, I don't. I, I at the end of the day, I, I don't necessarily want a desktop full of closed source applications on my Linux desktop. But if we got a couple of market dominating applications for a couple of segments, then all of a sudden there is a lot more reason to invest in the desktop platform. And right now, our best in is the server or mobile market. And we hope to God that there's a trickle-down effect that applies to us desktop users. That's what we have right now. And if we had a couple of just totally category-owning applications that demanded great hardware, you would see companies like AMD tripping over themselves to deliver this. And we're just we – just, we're not there yet. What were we talking about? Dream worlds a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I know. Well, it seems like it should be in Adobe's best interest unless they feel like distributing uh, Photoshop via the Microsoft uh, App Store one day. It seems like it should be obvious. They should be seeing the same lights that Valve is seeing, the same warnings. But we're going to get there actually in just a moment. Uh, That's right. But eh, yeah, maybe I, maybe my uh, maybe my Linux goggles are just too rose colored for me to understand why they don't do it. But I tell you what, uh, there is like a, give you a suggestion why they don't do it. Well, what is it? Uh, package distribution is a massive pain. Yeah, I know. We can but fix that. That That's is right. actually solvable. It is. It really is. It's not perfect, but it's it's not only is there things like snaps. But there's also just Target and LTS of Ubuntu. I was going to say that does seem to be like a – it's not ideal, yeah. but it does mostly and just work. every yeah, other distro will figure it out. Just be, they would have to be like you know, dealing with a bunch of hate from us. Like so many people are like, oh, why you pick I Ubuntu? Disagree. Like, they don't, no, I disagree. No, they wouldn't. I agree. They would deal with hate from a very small minority yes. of people who would never run their software. And the professional anyway. market would not care. Yeah, plus stick it on Ubuntu and what's going to happen? People are going to port it to yep. Arch and exactly. whatever. Yeah, there'll right. be an AUR in 15 minutes that pulls down the deb and installs it on my Archbox. That's just, you know, that's why also if you look at what Valve did where they just created an Ubuntu runtime inside their directory structure and now they just they just have, they have all of their 
folks play target to that. And that works fine. Adobe could do that. Adobe could create a, a horribly out-of-date runtime environment full of libraries that do not take advantage of the latest features of my system, and they could target that and make applications for all the Linux desktops that would still be 20 times better in performance than they are on Windows. Snaps is the new LSB. I would also take a snap. I would even, I would even take an app image. I, I, I tell you there is hardware out there now, like the Oryx Pro and the XPS 15, that if I had a competent video editing software and, and, and compositing software besides Blender, I would pull the trigger. I would pull the trigger. I would, I would not be doing the show right now. I'd be buying that hardware. I would pull the trigger so hard. I just would love to see it. And then maybe that we'd have a viable platform, you know, for real creative professionals. You could put some elementary on there if you had that LTS support. Boom. I love that. I love it. So we're gonna we're gonna get into Valve here in a moment. And also our old friend Sync Thing. Some interesting hey. yeah, some interesting numbers from Sync Thing. It's been a while since he's come around, but yeah. it's back. Yeah, yeah. It's back in town. Yes. Visiting the Pacific Northwest. All synced up. <laughs> We're going to sync up with... Yeah, that's right. I see what you did there, Wes. That's that's pretty good. First, we're going to talk about Linux Academy at linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. A free seven-day trial of a platform to help expand your mind about Linux. Linux, the nitty-bitty details, and also the really big, heady stuff built around Linux, like that uh, OpenStack, Azure, containers, infrastructure management. They make it all really accessible, whatever it is. If you're just learning how to manage a firewall on a Linux box or browse the directory, or if you want to go all in on the really huge topics, they've got self-paced, in-depth video courses. They have labs to give you hands-on experience, instructor mentoring when you need it. I don't know what to call it because a platform feels like something that is... like 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 a platform sounds like something you do to 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 connect a whole bunch of stuff and sell stuff like it's not a it's it is a learning it is a well you know what it's an online academy that's what it is whether you're an experienced sysadmin or new to the world of linux azure and aws openstack and devops a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed meet linux academy an online linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. We add new training every week, so you'll always be up to date on the latest tech. Sysadmins of every experience level use Linux Academy to stay on the bleeding edge of the Linux ecosystem. You should, too. I've never installed GNU slash Linux. LinuxAcademy.com slash plugs where you go to support the show. Sign up for a free seven-day trial. Check out some of their downloadable comprehensive study guides. The vibrant community packed full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. The course scheduler that works with your busy schedule. The note cards that get forked and improved by those very community members. And, of course, the instructor mentoring. The real humans that help you when you need it at LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Okay, before we get into the sync thing, hey, hey Wes, how's it going out there? Yeah? yeah? You're doing it? I don't know. He's got a Raspberry Pi. Why are you doing it in the other room, Wes? Well, I needed, I needed the screen to get the code. For the are you using the TV out there for your screen? Yeah. Hilarious. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Right. I feel like I should take a picture of that. So uh, what do you have right now on the Raspberry Pi? Right now we've got a Mycroft. It should maybe be working. I might need to restart it. I just plugged in the microphone I brought for oh, it. Oh, good thinking. But it's all paired up with their online service now. So good. So next the... step is Alexa, if that's working. So the Minecraft portions might might be working right. That's awesome. All right, well we'll check back in. Good work. I mean that's a nice that's a nice that's that's a pretty good accomplishment right there, Wes. I'm impressed already. So SyncThing has published some. I don't. I, I I think this is new. Data.SyncThing.net. It's new to me at least, and they're showing the total number of unique users that have reporting turned on. Which, by the way, not on by default. Uh, and uh, it's fascinating because what it basically shows is a consistent, with the exception of uh, the release from .9 to, to .10, a consistent trend line of growth. Uh, new users joining every single day, growing. Uh, each version getting more downloads than the last version. Uh, files managed per device, growing. Memory usage, growing. <laughs> I get it. So uh, I thought, actually, 
in in the age of of uh, constantly talking about how Dropbox is this or Dropbox is that or LibreVault's going to be or LibreVault can't be, I thought it was interesting to go back and revisit our old friend Sync thing and see how active it actually appears to be. Um, with uh, nearly now 30,000 unique users that have data reporting on per day active. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw some discussion about this too. Like some folks are saying there's not very many relay servers still. So uh, one guy's got one going on DigitalOcean and it's like on in the San Francisco data center. It's like one of the most popular on the West Coast. Oh, wow. Not that many running. So people are working on setting up containers with the relays in there to help make, make it easier for people to spin Throw those up. up places. Yeah. Have you, have you messed with it? At all sync thing? Have you ever? Have you been? I still have a couple syncs going. They've just oh, you been do? running. Using sync thing. Yes. Uh, ah. Very much in the background. So this is actually a good motivator for me to kind of check back in with that. See, I mean, it's all been working because I use it. Uh, but really, it's just a way to easily shuffle files around right now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wimby, you know I've got to ask. Oh, go ahead. I use it every day. You, you are you are producer Michael, ladies and gentlemen, to using the sync thing every day. Tell me about it. I use it to sync all my, uh, some config files for multiple computers and also for a custom to-do system that I built. And uh, oh. it syncs through my phone, through multiple computers, and a Pi. And a Pi. Now, is there um, any is there ever any issue of like uh, you have the same program running on two computers at once and the, and the config files are getting written to by both programs? Uh, no, because you can set it to be one's the master. So if there's a conflict, uh. it always pulls from the main one. That's it. I've, I've, that's exactly what I've thought about using SyncThing. Because the nice thing about SyncThing, as opposed to something like Dropbox, is you can have SyncThing look at any folder on your file system. So multiple I do sync like folders. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, and the best part is that you don't have to have like a specific um, folder for this. You can just pick one random. So I don't. I don't have a SyncThing uh, infrastructure in this. Like you just go in and say you can actually uh, create like IDs for each folder. So you can have a different name for the different folder on the thing as long as the sync ID is the same. That's a good tip. Wimby, do you have anything to contribute to the sync conversation before we move on? Because I always go to you, but uh, I don't know if there's much you have to I, share. I haven't used sync thing in ages because I switched to a different solution for what I was using yeah, before. Yeah. Right. Any updates or anything you want to share with the class or nothing in particular? Uh, no, not about sync thing. I can't add anything. About no, about syncing in general. I'm, I can't remember what you switched to. Uh, well, my, my use case for sync thing and BitTorrent sync before it was to sync uh, dot files and stuff right. like that. Uh-huh. And I'm now using Yadim, which is yet another dot manager. And uh, that's Git-based. And that's it's right. brilliant. That's yeah. what I've been thinking about using, too, is something Git-based. I hadn't had a pretty- – oh, look into that. Thank you. Yadim's well, great. All right. So let's talk about your favorite subject. Um, I feel like we sh- – we, well, you know, I feel like we can we can talk about it now. We can – you want you – want, I'll give you a little more time. I'm going to give you a little more time. Let's talk about VR on Linux. Ooh. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I got an HTC Vive sitting in the other room right now, so I feel like uh, I just got to bring it all out. Uh, so Valve, starting with this particular story, not necessarily directly VR, but probably going to play in a little bit. Valve has hired another developer, a, well, a well-known one too, Keith Packard. He's uh, worked on the X Window system in the past. He's worked for Intel. Then he moved to HP. And now he's at Valve to continue development on the Linux driver stack for graphics. So that's a bit of news. Yeah, it is. That's a bit of news right there. So that's something that I thought was worth mentioning. Also, um, Steam VR has gotten some update builds for Steam VR beta now with Linux support, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. Valve has pushed out Linux support for their Steam VR. And uh, they've set up a couple of different resources that I want to point you to if you're trying to make this work. Number one is they have a GitHub issues tracker uh, for the Valve software account, which I have linked in the show notes. And there are some community threads in the Steam VR group specific to Linux. I have those linked as well. If you're on Arch, I also have a warning for you. It looks like there is currently an issue with the NVIDIA beta driver, which is required to use Steam VR. And the module failing to build for the Arch kernel 4.10. So if you're on Arch and you want to play with Steam VR, it looks like you need to use the LTS kernel on Arch for now because that module will build. Uh, So that seems to be one issue right now because you have to be on a fairly recent kernel and you have to be on the beta version of the NVIDIA driver and you have to have something that supports Vulkan. Vulkan. So that uh, that is sort of the state of Steam VR right now. And it looks like also there is sort of uh, at the same time a really interesting write-up about somebody who decided to modify a few programs, chain a few things together, and create a VR workspace for Linux. 
And it's kind of fascinating how he did it. He said, first, I needed to figure out a way to capture the images running on my desktop. There's a lot of ways to do that. So I ran the uh, Zypher display server. Then I had this thing set up to take screenshots, which used uh, some Python scripts. The screenshots are handled and are Base64 encoded. He made those images available for his smartphone with, through a data distribution service. He chose Crossbar. Uh, the Crossbar system is a networking platform for real-time applications. It has a static web server built in, which can be used to distribute JavaScript to a smartphone. <laughs> so then his uh, smartphone client then connects to Crossbar or whatever, he, whatever the in-between thing is. It could be the Linux client. It could be anything. Connects to crossbar. It feeds the images from something uh, from from the system, and it titles them as topics. So then crossbar is configured around the web server, and uh, it runs on port eighty eighty. Then you point your machine at that on the same network. You open you know IP address port eighty eighty, and it's set up to run Linux desktop applications in VR. Now I just blew through all that because there's no way I'm going to walk you through all of the uh, Python code that he set up and stuff like that. But we do have it linked in the show notes. A way to take individual apps and project them into VR using any kind of anything from the Vive to uh, Google Cardboard. And uh, so he looks at things like Stellaris and uh, and apps like that to, uh, to as a way to take advantage of this. Now, having listened to uh, episode one of season ten of the Ubuntu podcast. I heard Wimpy talk about his uh, experience with uh, augmented reality, and I heard Wimpy proclaim that augmented reality was the future and that VR was not going to be the future. And uh, I, have to, I have to strongly disagree because, A, I will present that I believe what Wimpy was experiencing was, in fact, virtual reality and not augmented reality because there was no jet engine in the room. It created the entire jet engine from a virtual reality. So, A, I would, I would argue Wimpy did not, in fact— experience augmented reality, and B, or two, which I forget which uh, mechanism I'm using, I would argue that AR and VR are not mutually exclusive and that they may be more closer to the same thing than – that's not a Coke and Pepsi competition is what I'm trying to say. Now, I look at this. I look at Steam VR. I look at the fact that you have even just these easily put together methods to put some sort of rudimentary VR experience together, and I say to you – with HTC Vive shipping, with Steam VR shipping, and with systems like this that even work with simple applications like VR simple. cardboard, simple, VR has arrived for Linux. With all due respect, Chris, you're wrong. Okay, tell me. <laughs> so, That's why we like uh, you. It, tell, you'll, it tell totally like it is. is an AR system because while the jet engine isn't in the room, you can see through the glasses and the yeah, yeah. Um, the user interface is on the wall. So you can glance up at the wall and navigate through the menus. They're mm. over on the wall over there. So you could leave them on the wall to Ooh, your I like side. That. But couldn't they look, do that in a virtual room back. just as well? You could, but you can't see what's, what's around you because with VR... But the jet engine no, isn't there. No, but with VR, nothing is there. With AR, <laughs> some of it is there. Okay. The wall so is there. The, the table what you and may everything around you is there. Okay. What you may not have gleaned from the the demo that I I got to do was uh, the use case is I'm a jet engine repairman. There is a jet engine in the room, and I want to bring up this VR overlay sure. and the service manuals yeah. in front of me as part of the additional context to what I'm doing. And the idea here is that as a maintenance engineer you have access to stuff in front of you immediately and you can reference that and the hope is that there will be fewer human errors when you're doing these sort of maintenance operations because all of the information you need is available to you. Mm -hmm. And you can check out uh, where the parts are on the virtual model before you actually go and start, you know, spannering the real engine. <laughs> I like that. I would, I would say two things. Number one, I would say... Uh... I feel like you could still do all of that in VR. You would have a headset on. You wouldn't see through it, but there would be sensors that would be aware of the physical shape of the object, and they would that physical shape would be represented in the virtual reality that would be proportional to the actual object. But that said, I'm really just playing devil's advocate because to me AR does seem to make way more sense, especially in the industrial applications where you have a known setup. It's maybe a factory or it's a jet engine or whatever it's it's a reactor even and but it is it is always in this spot in the room it is always this dimension it always has these components it always has these attributes and and that to me seems like a much more achievable 
practical a practical uh, application of this technology simply because those variables are locked down and they're known quantities. When you have people's homes where you never know the layout and the lighting is always going to be different and the colors are always going to be different and the and the and all of these all of these random variables, I think that's where AR begins to break down and VR will be stronger. Can I just throw no, I, in an analogy that I often like to go to, right? And that is with networking, okay? It took quite a few years for us to get wired networking perfect with the TCP IP stack and all that kind of stuff. And we got to gigabit and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And now that's working perfectly uh, and beyond. And then uh, in parallel, we were also working on wireless and we got to, um, you know, G and N and then AC and beyond. And it feels like AR is wireless wi-fi and uh vr is wired and they're kind of two ways to look at the same that's how thing. i see it that's a that's a great analogy i really do see it as two almost complementary technologies in some sense they are complementary but they're not the same right yeah yeah well, yeah but uh, wireless isn't the same as wired but they they're still complementary and you you kind of need to to build that base of virtual reality first i feel and perfect that and then once you have that, then you introduce cameras mm. and blending of that into mm, the, yeah. the rest of reality. Yeah. And, and that's when it's going to be truly useful. Also, don't you think virtual reality seems more applicable to entertainment, uh, games, movies, porn, perhaps, whereas augmented reality seems more applicable to industrial applications or getting like get, getting work done? Or even here in the studio, West, wouldn't it be nice to have AR overlaid on the equipment oh, when yeah. you're signing up for TechSnap? Right. Absolutely. I, I want to jump in here because there's there's a key point that you're missing and and you're right you're talking about using it in the home right so at the moment if you've got a vive you've got to blindfold yourself and tether yourself to a computer yeah, yep and then stand in a room big enough that can accommodate all of the other poles and things yeah, my tiny out. house yeah it, yeah so you need a big <laughs> very much house, actually that's that is legitimately a problem yeah so you talk about entertainment. I don't think any of that is particularly entertaining. And also it's kind of solitary because doing that with two people, basically you're just going to chin each other, aren't you? I mean, you, 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 you're going to be walking around blind. Hang on, hang to... on, Wimpy, hang on. You're, yeah. you're trying to tell me that people don't want to play games on their own connected to a, a billion other people in the world. Uh, no, no I'm, some, I'm, some I know they like do. Some people to play with and, the other I... person in the room. Well, but I, I mean, let's not let's not forget. I two really apparently smart individuals would seem to think people are very interested in this, and that would be Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Gabian. They both yeah. seem to agree that people are going to want to put these full visors on and be completely lost in this virtual holodeck. So, yeah, it's like sitting in front is... of your workstation, your battle station. It's it's very similar. There there are a few people. There is there's a niche of people who are going to want to do that. But probably more mainstream is more like the Wii, where it's kind of more cartooning. You've got these motion controllers, and and now with the Switch and stuff like that. So th it feels like there there are two markets there. But the the AR headset I had on a couple of weeks ago was was a helmet. It, it you you wore it like um, a hard hat. Okay, um, there were no cables, there were no wires. The whole thing was self powered, yeah. running Ubuntu and. And I wasn't blindfolded. I could see everyone and everything around me. And I was also able to see the 3D images that this thing was projecting into a space that I could move around it and interact with it. That, to me, is light years more compelling than being tethered and blindfolded and not being able to see what's going on. And whilst I, I agree there's an application for VR for gaming, I, I can totally see that. At the moment, I haven't actually seen any compelling game. I'm not a big game, but I haven't seen any compelling games that utilize VR. At the moment, we just have a shitload of tech demos. iRacing is amazing. I, but I think, Wimby, I, Sorry, I there do, is one compelling yeah, game. Yeah, I kind of take VR. your point there. I take your point there overall to be, that is true. Like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't articulate the absolutely killer app for VR. I I am interested in this why it's just really quickly blasted through it a few minutes ago. I am kind of interested in in what I could do with VR and and my desktop just from like a maybe a content creation standpoint, but that's so far down the road. It doesn't really seem an AR may be even better for that. I don't I, I grant you I can conceptualize the the real good use cases for AR uh, much easier. And that's why I've been more of a kind of more of on that side of the fence. But I, I've come to see it more like Joe's with Joe's analogy is wireless and, and, and Ethernet. 
Uh, I I think VR the, the time the time I was really blown away by VR. It was sort of a hippie, good feeling experience where I, I got the Oculus DK2. I put it on my head. I put on headphones, and there's like tech demos, same stuff, tech demos. And so, what tech demo did I try? Well, I tried they go float on a raft in the middle of the ocean tech demo. And um, I think it's in part because I had had headphones on, so it was a more immersive experience. But I I took that off after five minutes, and I felt like I just meditated for thirty minutes. It was a really powerful sort of like, holy shit! I really kind of not all of me, but fifty percent of me, maybe even forty percent of me, felt like I was actually on a raft in the middle of the ocean, and that was uh, that was a pretty intense experience. Right, it took you out of where you were. Yeah, because I was actually in this room. Yeah. But it uh, that was a pretty so and then and then I then because I was so impacted by it I then wanted everybody around me to try it so I then I put the helmet on there I try this what do you think of this? isn't it crazy wow uh, and people were generally pretty impressed uh, I, so quite intense experiences a second um, what was it that made VHS successful over Betamax and what was it that made uh, Blu-ray successful over HD DVD speaking of intense right. experiences that you touched on earlier Chris it it. You know, it's it's not a comfortable topic for most people to talk about, but it's very possible that porn is going to drive what becomes <laughs> the next uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. VR or AR. Well, in, the case of, in the case of HD DVD and, and Blu-ray, that was Sony spending b- billions of dollars and getting uh, exclusivity deals with m- movie companies. <laughs> That's true too. So, that is, yeah. you know, we will we will we will all just look back at this in five years and, and laugh at oh, all yeah. of our of our floundering to figure it all out. But yeah. I, Okay, so I we just got a note from uh, Dan for TechSnap. There's a blizzard, Wes. Blizzard. There's a blizzard over there. That's uh, so we're going to pick the pace up. But I do want to celebrate the 23rd year anniversary or the birthday, if you will, of uh, Linux 1.0, and then we'll follow up on Wes's challenge over there. So before we jump into the rest of the show, let me thank Ting. Thank you, Ting. There you go. Thanks. They're the best. All right, Linux.Ting.com. Well, yeah, we're basically done. What you you didn't know the Ting is a is a mobile service provider that's super simple. Where have you been? Six dollars a month for the line guys, and you just pay for what you use. It's amazing. Go to linux.ting.com and check them out. They have such a simple. I, I really feel like it's almost too good to be true. You're like this can't be possible. If if I hadn't been a customer for like two and a half years now, I'd tell you ah this can't be true. I didn't believe it. This can't be true. But it's true. It's actually how they're structured. They're, so first of all, they're, they're owned by two cows. So it's like they've been around for a while. They know how to do this kind of stuff. And they've set up an MVNO network where they have CDMA and GSM. You get to pick from it. Whichever one works better for you. You pay six dollars a month plus your usage, whatever Uncle Sam takes. That's it for a line. That's it. It's really nice. They got great customer service. Go check them out. They also have a blog right now on the most, well, capable is probably a generous thing. I was going to say the best smartphones for under $100. I'm going to say the best capable smartphones under $100. Yeah, check it out. They have it at their blog. Just do us a favor and start by going to linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged Show. So... These are the final moments of the show, Wes. Final I know you're, you're doing great. you got a lot going on. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you a little time by celebrating the 23rd birthday That's of Linux 1.0. Yeah, 1.0 came out on March 14th, 1994. And what I decided to do to sort of celebrate this moment, I was trying to think what could we, what could we really do. I wanted to do a little time machine. I wanted to do a little time machine. Ooh. And I'm going, to play, I'm going to play an interview on this show. I would be willing to bet I, – I, I got to guess nobody. I'd be willing to bet nobody has seen this before. It's possible, but I'd be willing to bet you haven't because this was taken from a live recording of CNN recorded to VHS and uploaded by a dude to YouTube recently. Ooh. I've never seen it before, and, I, and it's, it's great because it's Linus around 1997-98 if, from what I can kind of grok, and it's – it's so awesome because the clip starts out in the typical, do you worry about Bill Gates? Does Bill Gates worry about you? Is Mike, you know, this whole threat model. And yes. you could tell in the answer, Bill Gates might be worried about Linux, but Linus ain't worried about Microsoft. Do you think that Bill Gates worries about you? No. Um, I think he thinks about Linux a lot because I just think that he's a person who likes to be in control. I mean, Microsoft is, is his baby. And he worries about anything that 
keeps his baby from being number one. And Linux is one of those things. I don't think he really, really worries deep down because he can always look at his, look at his pile of cash and then say, okay, I'm okay. <laughs> right? So, Do you see that uh, somewhere down the line that Linux is going to be bigger than Microsoft? I think this Microsoft is going to be smaller than Microsoft. Oh! Ooh. That Microsoft is obviously in an enviable position from a market sense right now. But at the same time, this is what what's called despotism, to control a resource. And that's what happened in the <laughs> old West when, when people controlled the resource of water mm -hmm. and became very rich in the process. It's a powerful tool for, for making money, uh, but it does have one downside. And the one downside is that it never lasts forever. And when, when it breaks as a tool, uh, you've lost everything. That field that that was pretty good. That was that was or that was late nineties. That was late nineties. Uh, Linux was uh, just a baby back then, but starting to get some server traction. So now let's fast forward to two thousand and one, about uh, about four, five, six years out from the mobile revolution, yeah. before Android, before iOS, and uh, Linus sits down with uh, Charlie Rose. For a stupid question to ask: Will Linux supplant Windows? It's a hard question to answer. I don't know if it's a smart question to ask. Why is it hard to answer? I, I mean, either. You know, well, it's. Will it always be? Will this knows? just be a niche operating uh, system that. I, I think Linux has a very strong future on the desktop, actually. It's on the desktop? On, including the desktop. Right. I mean, Linux already has like a quarter of the uh, web server market or right. more. Right. So, so in, in certain markets, Linux is very strong today. The desktop is obviously. For a lot of reasons, it's a very interesting market. And it's also obvious, very obviously a market that Microsoft completely dominates today and makes a lot of money dominating. Uh, and it's a market that a lot of people have tried to enter. I mean, Apple, uh, IBM tried with OS2. Uh, a lot of the Unix vendors tried, and the only reason, like, your average person doesn't even know that they tried is that they failed so horribly. Mm. And uh, the reason I, I think Linux actually has a chance and why I feel in five years the situation will be different is that Linux kind of works around the market. It, a lot of people are very interested in the desktop, so a lot of people will be working on all the applications going on the desktop, mm. making it look nice. And you can really see the the changes that have been going on in the last few years. Now, he was close. You know, he says, in the, you know, I want Linux to take off on the desktop in the next few years. But there was something he said in there that was very accurate, and that was Linux works around the market. And so it's, I think that with that sort of mindset that uh, when he talks about this next thing, I thought this was fascinating. Linus says what would be most disappointing for him about Linux in the future would be if it all went exactly how he expected it would go. I don't control the thing. I'm actually, the single nicest thing about Linux, as far as I'm concerned, has been how it has evolved in ways I hadn't expected it to. People are doing things with Linux that I never envisioned. People are doing things with Linux that I'm frankly not that interested in. And that's fine. And it's very interesting to see how people use Linux, even if they use Linux in ways that I would never use it. So I'm hoping that, I mean, in five years, if I were to make a prediction right now, which I'm not going to, if that prediction actually came true, I'd be really disappointed. Part of it. Because it ought to be unexpected. Yeah, a lot of the fun mm -hmm. has been that, that people have done things I never expected. What's the best? I wonder if uh, Android would fall into that, because that, yeah. was, that was about five years out from, from Android being announced. A world before smartphones. Yeah, isn't that something? And so I wonder if Android would fall into that category. So here we are, 23 years later, this day in history, March 14th, 1994, Linux 1.0.0 was released. Of course, it was 91, really, when version 0, 0, what was it, 0 0.002, I think, was announced by Linus. So that some people celebrate different days, but I think if you go by the 1.0 release, that's today, Pi Day. Especially where here, you know, it's starting to become a little more serious and the, you know, like the enterprise server thing, yeah. the, the Linux we know today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will have some links to some of those videos. Uh, it, yeah, because I was doing some trolling to find those. I had not seen those interviews before. No, me either. Linus was on Charlie Rose to promote a book. Yeah, uh, let me see if, you know what, let me see if, I don't know if I have the original beginning, but that is actually kind of a fascinating 
that's a fascinating aspect of it is I, I in fact I think I made I've created like a Linus folder now where I just have interviews with Linus Torvalds and uh, yeah here it is here's part one where I think he's introduced as as as, as uh, amongst other things an author. Oh, we don't need the old Charlie Rose intro. Wow. Although it's so 90s, it's almost it's perfect. So it's so... Actually, it's kind of what it is now. <laughs> That's horrible. Charlie Rose. Linus Torvalds was just a 21-year-old student in 1991 when he created Linux, the groundbreaking operating system for computers. After developing the system, he posted it on the Internet for free, inviting users to download, share, and modify. Its popularity has skyrocketed over the last few years. There are currently more than 12 million Linux users. <laughs> In addition, tech stalwarts, including Sun Microsystems, Oracle, and IBM, have begun incorporating it into their operations. Today, Torvalds is hailed as a hero by the open source wow. community. His new book is, quote, Just for Fun, the story of an accidental nice. revolutionary. There you go. This I have that book. Just for fun. Yep. 19, uh, was it, uh, or 2001 when that book came out, 2001. Wow. It's so weird to look back. It's so weird to look back. What a at, different time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, long, how young Linus looked. So how young. So how young. All right. So I thought that was fun. And happy birthday to version 1.0 of the birthday. Linux kernel. And thank you to Linus for continuing to work on it for so long. It's a fascinating interview. I will try to get links to the entire ones in the show notes. Wes, before we check in on the Mycroft Echo Challenge, let's thank DigitalOcean. If you want to run your own infrastructure, maybe you want to run Jarvis, or maybe you just want to run your own webmail client, or heck, just a sync thing instance, DigitalOcean could have you covered. It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a super fast Linux rig on their super nice infrastructure. All SSD storage, 40 gigabit e-connections into them hypervisors. Of course, the hypervisors run Linux, run in KVM. They got data centers all over the world, and they have the world's best interface. Other people are, like, trying to adapt and compete with DigitalOcean, but I, I think they can't actually compete with DigitalOcean because DigitalOcean's interface was created by an organism from the future that doesn't actually take our corporeal form. And what they have done is they have interfaced directly with the DigitalOcean computers, and they have coded right into their editors this amazing interface. It's the only thing that explains it. And then, thanks to a uh, time flux vortex, they're able to pull in this, ama- this code for this amazing API that makes it all simple. Now, the, 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 I like to mention the interface because it's great. But once you actually start working with DigitalOcean, you're going to be using the API. Even if you don't know what an API is, you're going to end up using it because it's so great, so straightforward, so simple, so beautiful. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. The pricing is to die for. If you want to go hourly, check this out. Three cents an hour, two gigs of RAM two-core processor, a 40-gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer for three cents an hour. Three cents. That's crazy. Like, they have one-click deployments of, like, an an entire Ubuntu LTS rig with Docker. You could try out SyncThing or set up one of those SyncThing relay nodes, the discovery nodes, in seconds and just try it out at three cents an hour. It's And and if you use a promo code DO Unplugged, you get a $10 credit. In the time it takes you to complain there's not enough relay servers, you could have one going on DO. Use our promo code DO Unplugged to support the show. Get a ten dollar credit. You just go over to DigitalOcean.com. You sign up. Once you've created your account, use our promo code DO Unplugged to support the show and keep us going. It's very much appreciated. DigitalOcean.com and thank you, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And thank you to everybody for using the promo code DO Unplugged. All right, Wes. I noticed you're sitting here at the laptop. Yes, you're I not am. at the Raspberry Pi no, anymore. Not. I assume you have an SSH connection. Oh yeah. What are we running as our base Linux distro? We are running. Uh, it looks like a fork of Raspbian. Okay, so something Debian-ish. Oh, Debian-ish. Yeah, Debian-ish. Yes. Okay. All right. And we got Minecraft running. We got Minecraft now. With... Hold on. Should I? Are you ready to what? With with what? Popey's voice. No! That's, yep. Oh, That's, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, right now, it's, wait, 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 what? it's only outputting on the 3.5 millimeter. Oh, okay. So we don't have a way to play so it on the air. So we don't have a way, to, but we could set that up for the future. Yeah, that pretty is. Pretty darn easy. All right. So it works for, it's, it's just plugged into USB. So break. the process of getting Mycroft set up on the uh, Raspberry Pi. Stupid simple. They even have it so that it'll start up their own little Mycroft AP. At first, you connect your phone to it. Then it does like a Chromecast style. Hey, what's your LAN's Wi-Fi password? 
and then from there just it popped up you you did like it gives you a little pair which will speak for you or you can see the speech log really you pair that on their website and then it just started working and you can ask it stuff so like to log in over ssh i was just like hey Minecraft, what's your ip address really yep I secretly And that's Arch exactly, Linux. yep. And then Popey was reading me, 192. Dot. Really? Yes. Now, how did it go when you tried to get to the Echo software? So here's the thing. Uh-oh. It's it's installing, but it is a lot more. The Minecraft stuff was pretty, there's a lot of it is in Python. It was pretty lightweight to get going. This just downloaded the Oracle 8 JDK, so it's a little bit different. Uh, there's also, like, you have to jump through a fair number. I mean, I had to go to the Minecraft website, to be fair, right? And I had to put in a code and stuff. And I made an account, but the account was very easy. The Alexa service, you got to go register as an Amazon developer. You got to check yeah. out a number of boxes being like, no, I'm not making money. No, this isn't for kids, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so I think it's going to work beautifully whenever it's The thing I liked about that is if you are if you are in that camp of this is a CIA surveillance device put into your home run by a private corporation that has a deal with the CIA to run its infrastructure, you're a maniac for using an Echo. Like if that's the camp you kind of find yourself in, which I can understand, yep, sure. uh, I think – this shows you what a tech tech hack this product really is in some sense. Like once you go through this process, you realize the limitations very quickly of the software oh, too. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. So it's a good way like if you're concerned about the security of the Echo, it it is a good way to get intimate with what the actual technology stack is that it's using. And you realize it's just – it's really plain Jane vanilla stuff running on Linux. They, I mean they, they tie it in with their backend infrastructure. Right. But. I know. I mean, I'm just to that point. I, you know, I just sourced their install script, and away it goes. And actually, that part was actually pretty nice. Like, it has some good, like, hey, yes, do you agree to this? But then it asks, hey, do you want to output over HDMI or 3.5 million? So mm. that part, I was actually pretty impressed. with. Oh, whereas the Minecraft one just, just went. Did, yes, huh. I imagine there's a way to go tweak that. Obviously, but do you have a speaker hooked up to it right now? No, I just I, have I wanna, headphones. We I should. Plug it. I want to hear Popey speak. I know, right? Yeah, I can never get enough of him. I think it should just work. We just have to move the stuff and we just have to find a way to plug it in yeah the, well yeah. i could just actually i would just i would like to get earbuds so that way popey's in my ears oh, yeah. you know yeah. i, I, I want to just hook I mean, them up and get one of those batteries <laughs> yeah just like that <laughs> you can get a battery pack for the pie and then you can tether it to your phone through your ting connection there and you then go. you can just be talking with minecraft and there you go all the time you can also just wiretap popey's echo that would work too <laughs> yeah that might be easier yeah that's probably already done Let's be honest. Uh, actually, I, they got a little credit, bit of credit recently for uh, trying to fight a court case. Uh, did you hear about this? Yes, I did. Yeah, Amazon. And then the defendant decided. Actually, I think we might talk about that very briefly in today's round. Oh, really? Coming you know what? That's a good round. tease. That's a good tease right there. I will leave it there. In fact, if you're not watching Wes on the TechSnap program, what's the matter with you? Dan and Wes are really, you know, it's been, what, how, it's been, what episode number are you on now? Uh, Eight? Three, ten. 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 Ten weeks. Although wow. some of those were doubles. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But damn, guys, wow, you guys are cranking those things out. I like it. Uh, well, all right, so that we should probably end it there because yeah. Dan's yeah. in the middle of a blizzard out there and he doesn't know how much longer he's going to have power. So we on the West Coast have it easy. I complain about the rain, but Dan's in the middle of a blizzard. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, are you going to poke at it and see if you oh, can get yeah, the Echo definitely. on there? We can have some updates next yeah, week. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. We'll yeah. follow up on that and see. How, so happy Pi Day, everybody. You, you, but So it does seem like what we weren't sure before the show started, and I guess I should make this point clear before we go. What we weren't sure before the show was, could you take the same base Linux image that you use to set up Mycroft? Could that also support the uh, the Echo software stack? Or is there going to be version conflicts? Would there? And it does appear you... It seems like it's going to work just fine. I don't know. Not quite done setting up, but uh, fingers crossed. Everyone. There you go. Tune in and find out next week. That's the that's the word on that, I guess. I'm I'm kind of curious because that could be the ultimate personal assistant. Yeah. Right. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I'm also curious to play with it, but I'm not like... I haven't been at the level even to buy a, a dot yet right yeah, but yeah yeah now if i have one there wow what's my excuse yeah yeah you know i got the assistant on the phone oh yeah, right. yeah, it's, yeah. it's really not that different yeah. yeah yeah all right well that brings us to the end of episode 188 we're gonna get out here on the account of snow there's so much more snow show day. we could do there's so much more shows so check out the show notes we got more stuff in there that didn't fit in today's episode Check out next week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We're going to have a really unique take on our visit to scale. Ooh. I like it. I also, if if it's if I'm somebody who's never been to scale, I would really like it. If I'm somebody who's gone every year, I would like it. I watched the video already. Noah did a great job. So check out Linux Action Show this Sunday. Thank you for being here on this show. Give us your feedback and your comments at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Give us your emails at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And find out the live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. JBLive.tv is where you watch us. See you right back here next Tuesday. Oh. 
Most of the web runs on servers powered by Linux. It's for people who like to mess with computers. JBTitles.com. That's not us. No, 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 no. Certainly not. Get well, those computers are you, out of here. Are you, are you, like, we, we tried to hustle, but we're, almost, we're still almost just I on know. a regular time. JBTitles.com. So JBTitles. Sorry, Dan. We're, we're, we're working quick. Uh, are you really better than VR? A focused mate? That's not bad. Uh, thank you, Mumble Room. You guys are excellent and wonderful and the best as always. Oh, yeah, yeah. Penguins are assholes. That's also true. Mm, those stinking penguins. Bite, start nip like, at killing you. people at the end of shows to share the show? Oh, you know, I should do that. I guess that, yeah, everybody go share and like. Was that what you say? What, what do you, is that what the kids say? Everybody, please share and like this. Like, comment, and subscribe. Hit like, that subscribe button. Yeah. Smash, smash that thumbs up, retweet, and uh, share it with your friends and your family, please. If we could get 100,000 likes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>